0: Okay, we are in John chapter 8, starting at verse 31. To the Jews who'd believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We're Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now, a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So, if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you're Abraham's descendants, yet you're looking for a way to kill me because you've no room for my word. I'm telling you what I've seen in the Father's presence. And you're doing what you've heard from your father. Abraham's our father, they answered. If you are Abraham's children, said Jesus, then you would do what Abraham did. As it is, you're looking for a way to kill me, a man who's told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You're doing the works of your own father. "'We're not illegitimate children,' they protested. "'The only father we have is God himself.'" Jesus said to them, "'If God were your father, you'd love me. "'For I've come here from God. "'I've not come on my own. "'God sent me. "'Why is my language not clear to you? "'Because you're unable to hear what I say. "'You belong to your father, the devil, "'and you want to carry out your father's desires.'" He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he's a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I'm telling you the truth, why don't you believe me? Whoever belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God.
1: Thanks, Leela. Um, I'll just go. Boom, boom. Brilliant. <laughs> uh, good evening, everyone. Um, let me add... Welcome to semis. Welcome. Um, It's so good to have you here with us this evening. My name is Joel, if I haven't met you yet. um, I'm part of the pastoral team here um, alongside Kaz and Steph. Um, And it is, um, let me just get my stuff together. Um, It's great to be here on a Sunday. Uh, How have our weeks been? Good, good. I had a really crap week. Actually, um, I'll just be honest. Um, Yeah, I had some really horrible things happen through the week. Uh, But the second half of the week picked up. um, And as I started reflecting on John 8, I, I was really encouraged. Um, so I hope, that, I hope tonight is a bit of an encouragement for you. Um, as we jump into it, we're in a series in John. So if you jumped in at this point, welcome. Uh, you've come in at the end. Um, so you, you, you got a little bit at least. Um, this is our last, series, last sermon in the series through John. We started it last year when there was just like 17, 16 of us sitting in a room and we kind of kicked it off and we did a little bit of John and we've come back this time and next year we'll finish the book of John get excited. Um, yeah, but that's, that's next year. Right now, we're up to chapter eight, um, and we're talking about the idea of slavery and freedom. Slavery and freedom, two ideas that Jesus brings up, and he declares two things. The first one is that the truth, at least according to Jesus, uh, the truth will set you free. There, there's one claim from Jesus. The second one is that it's possible to become slaves without even realizing it. Um, slaves, at least according to Jesus, Uh, to sin so that's what what we're going to track and I want to unpack some of those ideas but before we do that I want us to get to a working definition of freedom this is where I'm going to hand it over to you Um, what does freedom mean Um, it's one of those words that gets bandied around a lot Uh, we strive for freedom in so many different fronts so I'm going to palm it over to you Um, feel free to share or sit there and listen but what does it mean that what is freedom God did, did we have something Oh, thank you. Or <laughs> feel trapped to share. Yeah, because yeah, you have to sit there and you're like, oh crap, what am I saying? Um, what, what is freedom what, or what words come to mind? I'm going to pass the mic, but if you don't want the mic, don't feel like you have to have it. Uh,
2: I don't know if a word comes to mind, but when I think of freedom, I think of like a bird flying in the sky. Good image.
1: Yeah, I like it. Um, yeah, that would be wonderful. That's like goals. Yeah. Um, what else? What comes to mind with freedom?
2: Um, freedom of choice. Um, to decide what you want to do, who you want to be. Yeah. Free to be yourself.
1: Yeah. Nice. So, it's something to do with um, individual autonomy. So, I, I get to say what I want to do with my life. Yep. What else? Freedom.
0: Um, a lack of weight or something holding you or weighing you down like that's not there
1: yeah yeah so the the absence of what's the opposite of freedom restraint yep oppression Tra- okay what else what are what are the images um things that come to mind with the idea of freedom what does it mean to be free for you is it possible to be free we don't seem super sure some of us are like, yeah, yeah. Others are like, nah,
2: nah. I mean, it's super interesting in that some people's, like, it's not homogenous. It's different for everyone. So someone's idea of freedom is going to encroach on someone else. Yeah, yeah.
1: Somebody's idea of freedom is going to encroach on somebody else's um, religious freedom bills. Is that something that just came to mind? Then Um, encroach on other people's freedoms. Yeah, really good point. Uh, You just made it complicated. (laughs) Damn it! Why? Why? Why did that be so complicated? Um, Other ideas. Like, there's a million ideas there when it comes to freedom. What else? There's a line from Hamilton. What's the line? Oh my goodness, <laughs> that was good, that was good, yeah, yeah, when's this open mic night? Yeah. <laughs> um, it's such a big ideal, isn't it? Freedom, um, yeah, life, li- life liberty, um, the pursuit of happiness, Free. liberty, this, this freedom, it's the throwing off of shackles, it's the ability to be like, this is who I am. Has anybody ever, would you say, in your life truly felt free? Yeah? Right after my baptism, I felt free. Like, I was super scared of the water. Always, I just hate the water, like, oceans and all that. Um, But then, right after I was baptized, I was baptized in a lake, and I just was, like, absolutely free. And I swam in the water, and I was, like, not afraid of anything. Um, It lasted a short time, but right after my baptism, I really felt truly free. Yeah. 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 Um, it's, it's an internal sense in that point. It, it, it's, a, it's a sense of feeling liberated from a fear. Um, and it's not like that fear was necessarily external. It was something totally internal where something clicked for you um, and you experienced healing from fear. I, I don't know what words we'd use. Yeah. Have other people experienced times where they just felt free? No? No? None. Well, at least we had one. That was, you know. <laughs> um, I'm sure that you can probably think of times when you felt something that might was maybe was akin to freedom, um, or you're like this. Is, maybe this is what freedom feels like. Um, my impression is, though, inevitably it kind of comes back around again, um, and we wake up the next day and we feel not free, maybe. I know for a lot of people in this community, having experienced uh, time in the church, which has not been freeing, um, which is so ironic because the church is this place where Jesus says, "Yes, freedom, yo!" and then you get there and you're like, "Here's my shackles," Um, and that's what it feels like. Hey, because it's uh, you get there and rather than liberation, you experience boundaries rather than feeling hope, you experience shame, rather than feeling like you can actually, yes, walk into all of the beauty that God has, you end up being thrown to the side. Um, that's not freedom. And yet for so long, that is what the church has offered. And I think, I know for me at least, for a long time I thought that's what Jesus was offering um, because that's what the church offered. Um, when the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed, Jesus says. He offers a really specific type of freedom in John chapter 8. I don't know if you picked it up. He says that we'll be free from sin because, very truly I tell you, Jesus says in 34, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. So I guess. As we try and understand what, what Jesus is talking about when he says that you'll be free from sin uh, and, and experience all of the freedom that is involved in that, well, we have to actually define sin at that point. Well, what does it mean to be a slave to sin? And to do that, I want to introduce you to Lisa Sharon Harper. Um, some of you might have heard Lisa speak before, a phenomenal speaker, communicator. I don't know if she identifies as a theologian. But she's from the States. Here um, has some great ideas. Going to chuck it up. Um, it might be a bit of a new concept for some of you around how we actually define sin because the way that we're taught it in churches is often quite narrow. And I want to just broaden that out a little bit to help us think through what this means. So, over we go. But
2: way back in the day, you know, back in youth group, that sin is missing the mark of perfection. That's what sin is, is missing the mark of... It's a Greek term, I was taught. And it is. It's not a Hebrew one. It's not a Hebrew one, and at least not the conception of sin the way that we think of it. We get our understanding of sin from the Greeks, but our faith is not a Greek faith, it's a Hebrew faith. And when I went back to Genesis 1 and I looked at that, I considered... Well, this is what God has already declared is very good. Perfection, if we want to say what perfection is, perfection is the, re- the wellness, the overwhelming wellness of all relationships. It is right relatedness. And so what is sin then? In that understanding, in that rubric, sin is anything that breaks any of the relationships that God declared very good in the very beginning. So I think that we have a lot of the issues that we have today. We have issues with bulimia and anorexia. We have with cutting. We have issues with um, with with people leaving the church in droves because the church has been so focused on making people perfect. But we are not created to be... We are humans. We are not God. We are not creator. We are created. And this is so deep because... We've really kind of, as humans, we've placed ourselves apart from creation. That's part of our sin, is that we think we can do whatever we want with creation, as if we're separate from creation. But what does that do? There's only two things in the world, created and creator. So where are we if we are not creation? Are we claiming to be God? Are we claiming to have the same status and the same understanding of the world as the creator God's self?
1: Yes, because we're here to
0: exploit. It's our gift to be...
2: We get to do whatever we want, right? Exactly. So, so I think that the thing that, that, that really struck me and strikes me here is that sin is the, the act. It is act. It is not, it's not a way of being. We are not sinful because we are not perfect in ourselves. We are sinful when we do not love. We are sinful... When we, we, and sin is real, it happens. I mean, sin is real. Sin is what happens when it breaks relationship, when we break relationship, which is why related, right, relatedness was Jesus's core message. That's why. Jesus went through the fields and picked wheat on the Sabbath, and the Pharisees came up to Jesus and said, Yo, 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 you know, what you doing? You breaking the law, right? Like, you know, and Jesus said, well, the Sabbath was made for the people, not people for the Sabbath. Um, Right relatedness is what Jesus was doing when Jesus, in John 4, you know, goes through Samaria, He goes through the area that most Jews, trying to be perfect, trying to keep clean, would have tried to go around. He says, no, it's the relatedness that matters. He goes right to the heart and he meets up with this Samaritan woman. And he has relatedness with her. The image bearer, the woman, right? Who, at that point, she's in the middle of, of the desert. At noon, she is getting water at a time when most water, women would never get any water. And she's doing it probably because she's full of shame. She treat her like an Everybody, she yes, yes, people are treating her. And not only that, no man has actually settled for her. She's had five husbands, right? And the man she's with right now is not her husband. And in that time, women were literally property. They were passed, like a man could literally just put her out. And they did. Five times they put her out. Five times. So how did that make her feel? But Jesus went to her. She was trying to escape people, and by the end of that interaction, she is going to them. She is exercising dominion. She is now the leader. She is the first evangelist in Scripture that tells them the good news. So we, I think we've we've really been understanding. I really, I really do believe this this sin thing in a way that. Is is a Greek understanding, but not actually directly connected to the way that the Hebrews understood it. We were created for belonging. We were created for community, and when we that's what that's why sin is so horrible is that on every level, whether it's sin against ourself, as in we break relationship with ourself um, uh, by adopting an identity that is that is uh, uh, crafted by shame. Or when we break relationship between genders through dominance. um, We break relationship within families. um, All of that. like Part of the reason why it's so devastating to the soul is because our souls were created for belonging. Our souls were created to be connected.
1: isn't she? <clears throat> the more I spend time with Jesus, uh, the more I want to revive this Hebrew idea of shalom, uh, this Hebrew idea of connection, uh, this idea of, uh, of wholeness and wellness and what, right relatedness. Um, and um, as, you, as you were listening to her speak, you start to get this picture of what it could look like uh, to be in right relationship with one another, uh, you and me, uh, in right relationship with creation, uh, with the earth, with the cosmos, in right relationship with God, uh, and in right relationship with ourselves. Four, four different right relationship directions. Uh, and sin is so damaging because it comes in and it shatters that. It shatters that. And Jesus is claiming in John 8 that somehow we can become slaves to that brokenness, uh, slaves to that way of connecting that is shattered. What does that mean? Um, There's a story I heard this week. Uh, who knows if it's true, Uh, you might have heard it before, Uh, Ivan the Terrible, what a name, what a name, he was a Russian monarch in the 1600s, and he wanted to marry a Greek princess, and the story goes that the king of Greece said, yes, you can marry my daughter on the provision that you get baptized into the Greek Orthodox faith, and Ivan the Terrible kind of summed up his options, and he said, okay, yep, I'll do it, I'll do it, Um, but he had, a, he had a problem because his profession was as a soldier. Uh, his profession was as an absolutely ruthless conqueror. And that's how he lived as a monarch. And so he would go around and slaughter people. And he, he became quite famous for putting heads on stakes. Let's, hence, you get the name terrible. Like, if you want to you know, get a bad rep, do that. Um, so he went down to the river with 500s of, 500 of his soldiers Uh, and 500 priests met them at the river on the day of the baptism, and these thousand people went down to the river together, and just before the baptisms took place, one big massive 500 people dunk, they pulled out their swords, and they held their swords high in the air, and All of the soldiers, along with Ivan, were baptized, but they held their swords high up in the air so that none of the water from the river could touch the swords. And it was a symbolic act to say, yes, I will step into the faith. Yes, I will step into the church. Yes, I will be baptized, but there's part of me that is never going to go there there's part of my identity which, Jesus, you can't touch. There's part of who I am that I need to hold on to because I don't want you to take control of this, Jesus. It's, it's mine and I need to grasp it. How many of you know that sometimes it's the part of us that's going to be the most damaging that we hold on to so dearly? that we keep coming back to time and time again because we think that that is the one thing that we have that we can control. At this point, I want to suggest to you that Ivan the Terrible was a slave to his sword because he couldn't hand that over and that ended up being his downfall. Ivan the Terrible, dare I say it using Jesus' terms, was a slave to sin. He was a slave to violence because he thought that that was how he had to get through life. That's how he saw himself. He was the soldier. He was the strong one. And it's as though there comes a point in time when sin stops being something that is out there, Um, it stops being something that is fun and on the side, uh, and it starts being something that, has begun to take control. Uh, It starts being something that we can't let go of. And one day you wake up and you realize that this part of me that I used to control now has control over me and I can't let it go. And some of you are sitting there and you're like, yeah, I think I'm a slave. Um, I think I'm a slave to something. Maybe you can't even identify it at this point. Uh, But it feels like it's there. I've seen it so many times. And I'm always surprised when people are shocked by this reality. I sat with a young businessman who had started business after business after business. And it started with really good intentions. And he was raking in the money. But nothing he could do at that point could stop him from staying up all night and getting involved in really dodgy dealings because the greed had just taken hold of him. And he recognized it. He was able to name it. I feel so greedy, but I just can't stop it. Um, Another person, an employee eager to impress their boss, bends the truth just a touch to fit a convenient narrative. Um, They get away with it. It escalates. And by the time they sit with me, they openly tell me that they're manipulative. But they, they can't stop it because, according to them, it's just who they are. Um, and they keep coming back to this maladaptive, dysfunctional pattern of behavior over and over again because that's what's something. I, like, I, I honestly don't know at this point. It feels like for these people, that's almost part of their identity. It's, it's who they are at this point. And it's interesting, um, working in a space like this school. So this school is a school for young people who've experienced high levels of trauma. Um, And and I see this in my work as a social worker with people who've experienced trauma over and over again. People come back to their maladaptive practices, come back to their kind of dysfunctional behaviours when they've experienced trauma, not because it's a learnt behaviour, but because that's where they feel safe. Um, That's where they feel comfortable. Um, That is the known. And stepping into something unknown can be scary. Something unknown feels unsafe. And the the thing that one day will tear us apart becomes the thing that we grasp hold of And as it tears us down, we just keep holding on. And we hold it above the water and we say, Jesus, you can have every part of me, but hell no, you are not getting this part. Uh, If you're sitting here and you're thinking, yep, I'm a slave. Uh, I'm a slave to something that's going on in my world. I'm a slave to a part of my own heart. Um, I, I've handed my hands over in shackles and I don't know how to break free. Uh, welcome. We should start a club. Um, you're not alone. Or a church. <laughs> oh, we'll start a church and we'll call it New City. And we'll be like, hey guys, um, there's a whole bunch of us. There's a whole bunch of us that are struggling to break free of something. There's a whole bunch of us that have parts of our lives that we wrestle with. And we're trying, we're giving it a red hot go to try and break free. And at this point, Jesus steps in and he says, you can try as hard as you like, but you're going to need something bigger than just you. You're going to need something bigger than the skills that you think that you have at this point. You're going to need something grander. You can't just set yourself free. You need somebody who's already free to set you free. It's where the sun steps in. And so I'm inviting you tonight, perhaps for the first time in a long time, to listen to Jesus again. To listen to the words of Jesus who says, if I set you free, you will be free indeed. That leads us to the next idea that comes up in this passage. Um, put your hand up when you recognize what piece of literature this is from. Two households. Well done. And some of you are like, what? <laughs> Two households, both alike in dignity. In fair Verona where we lay our seed. Have, have a few people got it? <laughs> in fair Verona where we lay our seed. Um, it's, it's from Romeo and Juliet. Um, one of the great pieces of English literature, Shakespeare wrote it. Um, and it sets up uh, two warring families, the Capulets and the Montagues and the star lovers, and um, it, it's quite the story. But it all revolves around these two families, these two uh, families of great wealth and power who are at each other constantly in the city of Verona. That's the premise of the story. Here, Jesus in chapter 8 unapologetically lays out two different families who are warring. One of them has the father who is God, one of them who has the father of the devil, and he lays it down and he says, okay, which one are you? Which one, okay, Jews he's speaking to, which one do you belong to? Um, it's an interesting way to think about life, a really confronting way to think about life. Um, now, just to unpack a couple of things in here before we move too much further, um, some people think when Jesus is talking about the devil or when Scripture is talking about the devil that it talks about this, uh, I guess, the culmination or the uh, the coming together of all of the evil within humanity, within creation, within the world. Uh, it's anything that works against the forces of God. In, in the broken nature of where we are. That, that's one way that people think about the devil. Um, other people think that Jesus is speaking about a a literal person uh, or a, a being, an individual who represents uh, the, the head of evil in the world. It's up to you where you fall, I guess. Um, personally, I think that Jesus is in his mind, thinking about an individual. And and Paul picks up this idea a little bit later in Ephesians 6, when he says, our struggle, dear church of Ephesus, our struggle isn't against flesh and blood. That's not what we're fighting against here. Our struggle is against the rulers and authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against, here's where the Point comes in, the spiritual forces of evil even in, in the heavenly realms. And, and Jesus unapologetically sets up this spiritual world, this spiritual element to reality. Now, I don't know how this sits with you. Um, so I'm just going to chuck out some ideas that I have. You certainly don't have to agree, agree with me. Um, but this is how it seems to be, for me, my reading of where things are at, it seems that Jesus is saying, look, there's there's the good guys in the the heavenly realms, and then there's the bad guys in the heavenly realms. Um, There's the ones who are working on the side of God, and then there's those who are working against God. Uh, And in societies, it seems to me there's two extremes that we can fall to. We can either fall in the uh, superstition category where we see a demon behind every bush, where we think that everything has meaning or symbology, there's connection between everything. That's, that's one trap people can go too far into. I'm not saying anything about anyone uh, in particular, but it's just a trap that people could fall into. The other one, on the other end, which I fall into, and I think most of Western society falls into, we might call it substitution. Um, it's, it's the downplaying of anything that could potentially be spiritual. It's the hushing away, it's the uh, disbelief, it's the non-existence of anything that is bigger than us as humans. Interestingly, there goes uh, Gen X, Gen Y, Millennials, the next generation after that, who we're not quite sure who it's going to be yet, they are some of the most spiritually believing generations that we've seen in decades Um, they are far more likely to believe in a soul, an afterlife, all sorts of things. So anyway, that's a fun note for you. You can enjoy that one. Um, Jesus, he doesn't try and give a defense of his understanding of the spiritual realm. That's not what Jesus is doing here. He just assumes it exists. Uh, And by the way he speaks about it, he's seen it. Uh, And so he just says, okay, here we are. Here we are. There's one family that is headed up by the devil. There's one family that's headed up by God. And he says to his audience, who are you? Interestingly, we read in the very beginning of the passage that we had that these are the ones who believed in Jesus. These are the ones who are actually following him. And they kind of, they oscillate. They're like, ah, nah, Abraham's our father. Um, And they're like, nah, God's our father. And Jesus calls it as he sees it and he says, no, actually, the devil's your father. And it goes, it goes deeper than just who your family is. Uh, it goes into as though people are speaking totally different languages. Jesus is saying, look, there's one language that God speaks and there's another language that the devil speaks. What is it? We look at the book of John up to this point, up to chapter 8, and it becomes really clear. The language of God is the language of abundant, radical inclusion. The language of God is the language that breaks down boundaries, that shatters difference, that steps in and says, you are so welcome here. The language of God brings life. The language of God brings hope. The language of God brings healing. The language of God says this is your table and you are welcome in this space. The language of God says New City Church, you need to stand up for the oppressed. You need to work on being there for the people on the margins. The language of God brings people in and lifts people up. The language of the devil is the language of lies. The language of the devil is the language of death. It's boundaries. It's shame. It's oppression. It cuts people out. So Jesus is using two different structures within society at the time to talk about sin. First one is slavery and freedom. Second one is family. And I want to tie this together and just think about why is it that he brings these two ideas into the one page. And I want to offer a suggestion. I might be totally wrong here. Um, And something that we will always say at New City Church is don't just go off, off what the person at the front is saying. Uh, wrestle with it. Try and think about, okay, what's your conclusion? What's your application from this passage? But I want to just offer an idea that I've been sitting with this week, that I've been wrestling. um, Put it out into the world and see what you think. Uh, If we look at how society was structured at the time of Jesus, when it comes to family, people identified as, uh, as the children of their father in the patriarchy that was so strong at the time, I would identify as Joel, the son of Paul. You would be Thomas, the son of Ricky. That, that's who you were. It wasn't necessarily what you did. You weren't necessarily a product manager or a social worker or a pastor. That, that wasn't so much the need. It was It was who you were the child of because that was how you fit it into society. That's how you fit into the structure, and that's how you knew who you were. That was how you were able to identify. And I wonder, I wonder if when Jesus ties these two ideas together, slavery and freedom and being part of a family, I wonder if Jesus is saying sin isn't just a matter of rules and regulations. It's not just a matter of what you do do and don't do. It's not just a matter of drawing a line in the sand and saying, there shall I not go. Jesus is saying it's actually far deeper than that. Sin is goes to the heart. And sin is a matter of how you identify. It's who you are. It's, it's part of understanding where you fit in the world. And so often we're trained to identify with our deficits or with our sins. I am a terrible friend. I am a a manipulator. I am greedy. I am broken. I am shameful. And into those deficits, into this way of speaking about ourselves, which is by definition founded by the father of lies and death, into this, this passage invites us to come to the idea of sin from a very different basis from the perspective of children of God. And if that's the case, if that's the case that it's part of who we are, that that, that we are actually children of God then we're invited by Jesus to actually pursue our true identity, to pursue who we are because you, believe it or not, you are radically enveloped by the love of God. You are radically loved by God. And you are part of a family. And that family is full of life. And that life is abundant and that life overflows and that life goes on day in, day out, bringing justice, bringing hope, bringing beauty into the world now, tomorrow, and for all eternity. And God saying, yeah, this, this is who you are. This is who you are. And on the cross, Jesus took the shame. Stepping down into our world, Jesus embodied what it means to be the true human. And he showed us what it means to be a child of God who lives life to the full. Because now in Christ, there is no longer any condemnation, there's no barrier between us and God. And we approach God boldly, says the author of Hebrews. We approach God boldly because the shackles that held us down are gone. Because we know who we are. We know who we are. We know who we are, damn it we are children of the most high god and you try and put those shackles back on us go to hell tonight you might be sitting here and you're feeling racked with guilt racked with shame you're bound by law you feel like you can't get out of slavery um, tonight, the words of Jesus, these words of truth and hope, these words of freedom that we spoke about at the beginning, uh, there's no knowledge that we can fly, that we're liberated, that we have the ability to step out into the world with confidence. Tonight, we have the chance to listen to that truth spoken over us. Uh, and next week, we have the opportunity to listen to that truth spoken over us. Uh, And the week after that, we had the chance to listen to that word spoken over us. Uh, And if you're feeling through the week like you're just bound by shackles and you're going back into old ways of living where you think you're full of shame and that's all that you'll ever amount to because you're living out of deficit, call one of us and say, hey, just remind me, uh, where do I fit in this? Where do I fit in this grand narrative? And we remind you that you're a child of God. Um, And in a month's time... um, We'll just keep speaking it. Uh, We'll keep reminding, and then the week after that, and the week after that. um, And we'll just keep saying it um, until finally you believe it. And it sinks in. And you start to realize that, yeah, it's really good to be a child of God. Sons, daughters, siblings, non-binary fellows of the most high God. That's who we are. And what an honor it is to be a part of that family, adopted in. And in that moment, when we realize that we have been grafted into the story of eternity, we're set free. We're set free. And that's the truth. And so I for one believe Jesus in John 8 when he says that the truth will set you free that when Jesus sets you free, you will be free indeed. I'm going to pray for us. God, we pause. And we sit and we know that you are God. And God, we want to be real and recognize that there have been times in our lives, there have been times in our past, there have been times even in our present when we have not lived up to everything that you have called us to be. When we have allowed sin to take hold in our hearts. When we have allowed brokenness to step into our relationships with one another. When we have let the shattered nature of this world get between us and you. And God, there's been times when we've allowed that shame to creep into our own hearts. We've started believing that that's all that we amount to. And then along comes Jesus. And Jesus says, if you hear me, you hear truth. And the truth will set you free. And if the Son has set us free, then we are free indeed. God, we want to be people of you. People who know our worth. People who know who we are. Children of the Most High God. God. And as we go out into this world, which tries to convince us otherwise, we remind each other, this family reminds me, I remind them, we remind one another that we truly are loved by the divine, that the divine is present in us, present in our world. And we want to partner with you, Holy Spirit, as you bring beauty into this world. So God, thank you for adopting us. Thank you for adopting us into your family. And tonight we recognize that that is who we are. Amen.